right, Trinity Church, good to see you today. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job today. It's uh, leading us so well. Um, I, uh, I have the, the role today of being the bearer of some bad news, so I want to begin with that today and take a minute to pray. You know, when tragedies hit us at a national level, there is a thing in our heart that we hurt and it breaks but there's something about it when it happens close to home that it changes that whole reality. Uh, one of our own, Isaac Yire, uh, passed away yesterday. And um, I just can't even look at you guys right now because I know these are people that care very much for Isaac. Isaac is 20 years old and uh, died in a rock climbing accident in Las Vegas yesterday. And um, Isaac is a, a young man who uh, I even got to know this summer just in a little way. He was serving in our facilities team. Um, and there's so much more to Isaac than that. Um, but it was a young man who went through our youth ministries and is dearly loved uh, by people here within our youth group, as um, obviously as well as his family. So we want to take a minute today to pray. And as we do that, I want to say this, that even, even if that, that name doesn't connect a dot, even if that isn't someone known to you, um, you know he's known here. So, let's pray. Father God, um, our hearts go out today to those who uh, have a, a very big hole in their heart for their connection their love, their friendship with Isaac uh, just uh, never, never crosses our radar that someone that we love can be here and gone so quickly. Many of us in this room have experienced that at differing times and ways, and yet today, today on this 19th day of November in 2017, it hits very close to home. So God, we have, over the course of uh, the last six months or so, we have prayed weekly for the needs going on in our country. And God, we, I cannot remember a time where week over week there was so much tragedy and so much loss. And those things, uh, places across our country, across our world, God, they have been at least one step removed from us, but today they are here. And so my prayer is just this, that um, you, the God of all peace, the God of all comfort, God would uh, truly uh, wrap your arms around uh, those who are hurting. I pray for Isaac's family, some here in this area, some in San Diego, his sisters, his parents. God, I pray especially for them today that you would give them grace, give them comfort, God, give them hope. And, and God, what we do, what we, we don't want to minimize the sense of loss. But God, at the same time, we are so grateful that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Isaac loved you. And the great news is that it doesn't matter how great a guy Isaac was or was not. His hope was not in how he could earn something from you. His his. His esteem, God, was not based on what he could have done to be good enough to enter heaven because Isaac, like the rest of us, knew that nothing we can do allows for that. But it's all that Jesus did for us. 
That is the great news of the gospel. That's the amazing grace we sang about earlier in this service. And so it's to that that not only Isaac clings to, but it's that to which we cling to today. So thank you that our hope is sure, that we truly, more than just wishful thinking, we believe that Isaac is in your presence today. But God, we still sense this great loss. So in the middle of that tension, be present, be here, and give us grace these next days forward. We love you and we thank you and pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. If you would like to have some time to connect um, with people today as you're processing that, we have a room right out through uh, that hallway called the Fireside Room that we have people who would just love, especially around uh, this loss of Isaac, who'd love to pray with you, love to talk. So just know that's available directly after the service. All right. We're going to way change gears, and that's very awkward, but it's what we do. So there we go. We just began a series last week called Taking Inventory, and um, we're talking about these things that Jesus has to say right in the middle of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 5 through 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and within that, Jesus dials in right in the middle of the service, and he, he causes us to take inventory. That's the name of our series and, and we're asking the question, how do we reevaluate what we value? Because as Jesus is going to shine the light on this reality, we often value the wrong things. And so today I want to keep moving forward with that. And I want to help us all see clearly because that's what helps us make good decisions. Matthew chapter 6, if you have a Bible, you can open it there. We'll be ready to go in just a second. If you've got a Trinity this week, you have notes that look like this. Would you take those out today and have those ready? Because they will help you as we fill in some blanks along the way. This is kind of the summary of what we've talked about related to this series. It's easy to fall prey to valuing things around us that look so fulfilling, but they aren't. And they won't last beyond the next new trend or the season that we face. Looking at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, we'll hear him challenge a value system that is based on what is temporal based instead on one that is eternal. This is the now what statement for today. We'll finish with it as well, but it's good to have in our minds all throughout. Because the things you treasure act as a tether to your heart, treasure things that keep your heart in the right place. Because the things that you treasure act as a tether to your heart, make sure you value and treasure the right things because they'll keep your heart in the right place. Let's ask the question, do you remember playing Monopoly? Raise your hands. Yep. And for some of you, it was last week. Others of you, four decades ago. Okay? So it's all over the map. We're all over the map there. But think about the last time that you played. This is how Monopoly went down in my house. One of three scenarios tended to happen. Scenario number one, I had a younger brother. And so as we would play Monopoly, especially when he was younger, it would go something like this. So once he doled out all the cash... A few minutes into the game, hey, Jonathan, uh, what do you think about making a trade? Your yellow and orange ones for my green and blue ones, okay? That translates to your 500 and 100s for my 20s and 50s. What do you think? I know you love blue and green better, right? So I'm, I'm willfully and wonderfully deceiving my brother into snagging his cash. He loses a lot quicker that way, okay? That's one way it went down. I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you reality. Another way that it went down was this. We'd play, we'd strap in and we'd go, we know Monopoly takes three hours. It's going to be forever. Let's do this. And so we'd play, but in, inevitably, we'd just start pooping out. This game is way too long. No progress is being made. I know I'm not going to win. And I just get up from the table and walk away. 
That was another way it went down. A third scenario went down. No, we did it. We were going to go for broke. We were going to finish this game. And, and if you play this out, you have to know this, right? Monopoly does not have ties. Monopoly does not have multiple winners. It's all about you're the only one left with all the property and all the cash. So what happens in the midst of that? People get angry. In my home, people went postal. Okay? I got really mad and got really intense, winning or not. Somehow their names always began with the word dad, okay, within that. But got really mad about how this is not going his way and really frustrated. And I was just like, uh, yeah, but I'm going to win. So let's stay and play. However that went down in your family, you realize that some things about Monopoly are really important. And the biggest one is this. No matter how much of the colored money you could accumulate, none of it will pay the light bill. It's all phony and it's all fake, okay? It's not going to do it. So let me, let me draw some analogies. By the way, I brought a version. This is kind of interesting. This takes away the colors of money. This is a Monopoly game we have that uses ATM cards, right? How great is that? We got this game when Ellie was young, and I'm not sure why we bought this version, but we did. And everything's based on this little, it's not a credit card, it's an ATM card, but there's no exchanging of cash. And so she doesn't have any of those stories of yellow and green and her older siblings duping her. But, um, but think of it this way, think of how life goes, because I think life actually plays out like the Monopoly game. First off, some people are so deceived by money in terms of they don't understand wisely how to use it. So within a short amount of time, they're broke and they have nothing to show for it because they made a lot of unwise moves. That, that's one reality that comes with our resources. Another reality that plays out is that maybe that you start the game, but you realize this is a game. Like think of, think of uh, trying to accumulate and amass wealth and material things. And you realize partway through the game, this isn't. This is a game. This isn't matter. This isn't real life. Not that they aren't real objects and real bank accounts, but they won't matter long term. And you pull away from the table and you walk away because it's not a game worth playing. Or others in life, they stay around and they stay in the game a long time and people around them get burned. People around them lose it all, but they keep trucking and they come to the end of what looks like a very fruitful, prosperous wealthy life only to find out none of the stuff can go on to the next step. None of the stuff really will last through eternity. So life seems to be a lot like actually your experiences and my experiences around the game board. And what I want to help you with is today, I want to help you with this reality of being able to see these words that Jesus talks about that are so crystal clear and helping us to not make the same mistakes that others have done before us. Where we value the wrong kind of treasure and live our lives for it. Rather than for what Jesus says really is going to last. And that's what I'm excited to dive in today. What you'll discover today is what, your treasure, what you treasure determines what you seek, how you see, and whom you serve. Your type of treasure determines what you seek, how you see, and whom you you serve. We're moving forward in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the very next words that follow. Last week, if you were here with us, you remember we talked about Jesus saying that if you're doing pretentious acts of religion, if you're doing good things like praying and giving to the poor and fasting, but you're doing it for the purpose of being noticed by other people, that's what you'll get being noticed, but nothing more. 
They won't have any vertical reality, any vertical reward. Instead, that's it, is just what happens here. So Jesus says, understand aright where your attention needs to be and who you need to value. Well, today follows that. And what we're seeing today is it's not so much the amount of your wealth, but the nature of it. That's what's going to be addressed. Not how many assets you own, but the lasting value of your treasure. Not your possessions, but what possesses you. It's not about what you have, it's about what you want. Mark Tab, you can see the quote up on the screen, he put it this way. The Bible shows that all of us have a choice. It isn't a choice between God and the devil or heaven and hell. No, this choice is much more subtle. Each day, you and I must choose the kind of treasure to which we will devote our lives. Either we will spend our lives filling our attic and garage with a lifetime of collectibles, or we will spend our lives laying up treasures in heaven. That's the issue. That's the crux we want to look at today. So let's dive in. First off, in order to treasure what will last, you must seek what can't be stolen. In order to treasure what will last, you must seek what can't be stolen. Let's dive into the first part. We're in Matthew 6, beginning of verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's dive in. By the way, as we dive in today, it doesn't matter who you are in the room, whether you would consider yourself wealthy or not. This applies to every single person, irregardless of your bank account, irregardless of your stock holdings. None of that really matters because as we look today, we're going to find that even if I don't have the things but have a heart bent to want them, I'm still in the same predicament. And I can have great wealth, but as I use it to amass what is going to last for eternity, that's actually a great use of storing up treasures in heaven. So don't determine anything. If you're here, students down front are like, I don't own a whole lot. This doesn't really apply to me. This absolutely applies to you. Those who would be in our ranks, people who are just living paycheck to paycheck, don't think this doesn't matter to you. This is exactly where we all live. Where, what is it that I treasure? Let's look at that word to begin with today. The word looks exactly like our English version. It's the word thesaurus. That's this Greek word that New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. That's what this word is, thesaurus. That which is, is of exceptional value and kept safe I like this, a storehouse of treasures. The last time you picked up a thesaurus, oh wait, I'm sorry, you don't pick them up anymore, you just look at them online, right? No one owns one anymore. But the last time you looked up a word on a thesaurus online, you would have never thought that that word means a storehouse of treasure. All that is is a bunch of synonyms and antonyms to you. To wordsmiths, it is exactly that. It's a storehouse of treasure. But that's what the word means. That's the, the, the idea of it. And it's here in our New Testament as well as in our everyday English-speaking uh, world. But to think about it, the storing up of treasures in this passage is in and of itself not the problem. It's not forbidden because Jesus exhorts his hearers instead affirmatively to store up treasures, just not here for eternity. So let's try to distinguish what can constitute storing up treasures on earth and what does not. First off, it's not a ban on possessions themselves. This is nothing of what we've read today. It's also not forbidding us to save wisely for the future. 
That's not something that in this case is, is what Jesus is speaking against. And it's not about despising the good things that God gave us to enjoy. We're actually going to see a passage and it's going to say just that, that this is what things are for, for our enjoyment, not for our stockpiling. So if that's not what Jesus is referring to when he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then what does he mean? Well, we're talking about the objects themselves that are being gathered, the nature of them, the kind that are terminal and will not last. It's forbidding selfishness, because what is the storing up doing? It's serving you. It's for yourselves. It's denouncing covetousness. A sense of only living for more, I need more, I want more. It's condemning miserliness or stinginess because storing up for yourselves treasures means you're not giving it away. These are the problems that Jesus is speaking to. I was sitting for this passage and I I have heard Matthew 6 preached before. I have read it many times, but this one thing never popped out to me like it did this week. And this is what I realized. I'd never seen it before. Moths don't ruin clothes you wear daily. Have you ever noticed that? Moths don't ruin clothes you wear daily. They ruin the ones that you are amassing in the closet. That's the ones they go after. That's the ones. Why? Because no one's messing with them. They're sitting static. They look like grazing pasture land to sheep. Are your clothes to moths that just sit in the closet? Rust doesn't destroy tools that you properly and often employ. Rust only destroys the stuff that you don't use and sits around and gets wet. Thieves don't break in and steal the very items that you're holding in your hand. They steal the ones you've stored away. This is powerful. That is a powerful reality of each of these things that Jesus says. This is the problem. When I say, God, I'm going to set up my world. I am going to live for a sense of having security and having stuff all around me that I can just somehow amass but not use. Somehow keep for myself but not give away. That's the heart of what Jesus is talking about. I didn't share this first service, but I don't know what it is. This is the thing why I say this has nothing to do with the amount in your bank account today. This is everything to do with your heart. I grew up in a lower middle class family, and we always had enough, but not much more than that. And and I, I don't know why it is, but I know from a very young age, I have been someone that it really takes a lot for me to want to share. Like if you and I go out to lunch and we order something and I have fries on my plate... I'm not offering you any. <laughs> not naturally, anyways. That's a really, Lord, should I really? These are really well done and beautiful golden fries. I, I really would like them for me. And it takes a lot to actually, I mean, it's that, it's that literal of a mind game in my head to have to get over. So it's not as though I've had lots of things. But even the things you have when you don't want to let them go, when you think that's where satisfaction is found, that's the heart of this passage. So no matter who we are in the room, we can struggle with this reality because of where our heart is, because of the things that we value. This passage is all about that idea of what I value, what I guard. The admonition is not simply to not hoard, but watch this, it questions what you value, and what you put to good use. We see concepts here of of disengagement and engagement. I love how throughout Scripture you see this all the time. Jesus doesn't say, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth and then walk away. 
Jesus says that's where it begins, unplug from that quest, unplug from that, that search, but instead plug into a new way. Store up for yourselves treasures that will last, treasures in heaven. Let's see, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Well, on your notes, it means to invest your life in what will last and in what will be rewarded. The Apostle Paul calls it building with fireproof materials. Building with fireproof materials. I, I will tell you, without any grand design of my own, it's amazing to me how often 1 Corinthians chapter 3 keeps popping up. We talked about it in our Rooted and Reaching series The week we talked about margin, I need to create space in my life so I can give myself to what matters most. Rather than trying to add mission to my life, I clear things away so mission can be front and center. Well, in that passage, this is what we read then and we're reminded of it today. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, look at that triad. Now look at the next set. Wood, hay, or straw. They have some real commonalities. The first three different than the second three. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. When you and I will build in our, with our lives, using our time, energies, efforts to build with things that will last through the judgment of the day, capital D, day, there's reward ensuing. But watch, if it is burned up instead, if we built with things that won't last, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Jesus is laying out this reality. You get to choose what you're going to treasure and value. And Paul makes it super clear, one certain type of thing you value lasts into eternity, the other stops at this life. To build with materials that have only temporal results is the worst kind of loss, because watch that, it's the eternal kind of loss. It's not just, it might look like gain here in this lifetime, but in terms of the scope of eternity, It's truly lost. And it just demonstrates the reality of a a statement we should keep in front of us. Indeed, you can't take it with you. All the types of wealth we like to think will last. The Bible is saying, though, that there is one type of treasure that does last, a kind of investment you can make that will actually last into the next life. Watch this, 1 Timothy 6. This is Paul writing to a fellow pastor, Pastor Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present age or present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't don't value the things that you can taste, touch, smell. Don't value those things, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Remember, we mentioned that a minute ago. Notice the uses of words, richly. He richly provides. Command them to to do good. To be rich, how? In good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. This ought to be our posture. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. This is the exact same phrase. They'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And look at this last line. This is so powerful. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that is my hope and prayer for Trinity Church. Each individual that we would take hold of the life that is really life. So Jesus gives some reasons why we ought not treasure things on earth. It's that now what statement? Because the things that you treasure act as a tether to your heart. 
Treasure things that keep your heart in the right place. I love this passage from Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. D.A. Carson said it in a way I could only dream of being so articulate. He said it this way. The things most highly treasured occupy one's heart. I like that one's center. Get away from your heart. Obviously, we're not talking about the pulmonary muscle in your body. We're talking about this idea of the, the seat of who you are, your center. Thus, the most cherished treasure subtly but infallibly controls the whole person's direction and values. Native hunters, so it said, in uh, jungles, uh, places like Africa, they figured out ways to capture monkeys. Not really sure why you want a monkey in the first place, but let's say you did, okay? And, um, and they figured out a way to capture monkeys. It's quite simple. What they've done is they've gone to areas that have coconuts, and they've taken a coconut, cut it in half, and they've gutted out the inside. Then with one side of the shell, they've cut off the end, and they've created a hole, a very small hole, just small enough for a monkey to get its hand into. And on the other side of the coconut, they put an orange, something very desirable to the monkey. Then they take the coconut, and they, they seam it back together. They put it back together, and they tether it on a rope to a tree. And then they just walk away. And they'll come back when they hear the squawking because this is what's happened. A monkey will come by and smell out that orange and know how good and sweet it must be. And so finds its way, looks at the coconut, sticks its hand inside the coconut, grabs hold. But then it can't pull it out. The hole's too small to get your hand and the orange out at the same time. And so it pulls and it pulls and it squawks and it squeaks, trying to get itself free when all along... All it needs to do is what? Let go. But it holds on for dear life, and all the hunters have to do is walk by and drape a net over the monkey all along, never letting go to what it really thinks it treasures. What a powerful illustration. What a powerful illustration, because what I want you to hear today is this. I want you to hear that you have the choice. You have the choice to get to value what you value. No one makes you do that. Not, watch this, not even God. God gives you the ability to choose to love him, to choose to store it for yourselves, treasures that will last, the kinds of things that go into eternity, making those kinds of investments or not. But you have the ability to make that choice. That's a powerful responsibility, a powerful gift. So today, look in the mirror, evaluate your treasures. What is your fist wrapped around? What is your heart tethered to? Will it last? Can it be taken? Are you hoarding rather than sharing? Are you actively seeking to store up eternal, lasting treasure? Question one for today. Number two in your notes. In order to treasure what will last, you must see life clearly. You have to be able to see life clearly. This is essential. Continuing on in Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let's look at a couple more Greek words that will help us today. The the Greek words translated into our English as good and bad that are in that text. The first one is aplus, and it means clear or healthy 
or generous. It has a pretty wide domain range of words, but key in on that second one, it means healthy. Secondly, the word for bad is the word poneros, and it means evil, diseased, or jealous. So within the domain range, and I would never be one to say that I know better than a Greek scholar who translated the Bible into English, but what's actually viable is what Jesus is talking about, our eyes that are healthy and eyes that are diseased. Be careful that your eyes are healthy. Be careful that your eyes be not diseased. Using these physical examples of clear vision and blindness, Jesus talks about how your eye is an integral part to the rest of your body. What well, you know this, your whole body either benefits and functions rightly from your eyes seeing well or is distressed and disabled due to the fact that your eyes are not providing sight. We get that. We understand the value of vision. <clears throat> so in the same way, being able to see the value of things through the lens of what really lasts and what doesn't allows you to make choices and decisions that benefit your whole self. When we can see things clearly from God's perspective, the truth, then we can make decisions that rightly follow him and stay away from the ones that don't. Here's how it happened one time. Thieves broke in to a jewelry store at night. But the odd thing was they didn't steal a thing. All they did was take price tags and swap them. So costume jewelry that just cost a few dollars was now valued at thousands of dollars. And conversely, true gems and works of art were now just a couple bucks. So the next day, nobody knew they'd come in. The next day when people walked into the store, people were walking away with what seemed like so valuable of jewelry was truly costume jewelry and had no worth. But others who could afford very little put their money towards something that was price low but had intense value. This is what this passage is talking about. Do you see life clearly? Do you see what really lasts, what really has worth and value? Or are we continually stockpiling costume jewelry? Watch this. Example of this. If you have healthy eyes, eyes that see clearly that allow you to see from an eternal perspective, here's what you know. You know that a job change or a promotion in your career is much more than just about the pay raise. You know because it's going to affect your family. You know because it's going to affect your time. You know because it is probably going to affect your ability to be intentionally involved in people's lives as an intentional influencer. Someone who's living on mission, people have got to supernaturally, strategically placed in your life. That's going to change when you take this. You can see clearly enough to know if this is a good value and a good move or not, because you're seeing all the pieces, not just the increased salary. When you have healthy eyes that allow you to see clearly from an eternal perspective, you'll know that purchasing more things only creates more problems. Some of us have lived this. You know this. It creates more problems like it's more things to fix. It creates more problems as there's less time to use all of the things because there's only 24 hours in a day. There's more things to ensure. There's more things to alarm. All of a sudden, you have a lot more stress and weight on your life because you have more things. If you have healthy eyes that allow you to see clearly from an eternal perspective, here's what you do know. You do know that there's a way to invest in things that matter. You do know that there's a way to invest in something that will last forever. Like many of you do every year when you invest in the Advent Conspiracy. 
Alfredo did a great job hosting today, and then you heard uh, from Jay and from Christy about the value of one of our projects, like our loft house build, and there's many others on the, the form, the explanation in your Trinity this week. What I wanted to do, I told you last week that I wanted to give a tool for parents, and let me explain. I'll be brief, but I think this is a neat thing. I have a conspiracy from its very heart is actually a movement that's a national thing. It didn't begin at Trinity. We got on board, and I'm really glad that we did. But in doing so, the whole heart behind Advent Conspiracy was quite simple. It was to help people get out of the just rushing currents of commercialism at Christmas and to pull back and say, I think Christmas was intended for something different. Rather than how many things I can amass, I think it was something that I was actually going to value it and really value in the point of giving, especially to those in need. I love this year the tagline that we've brought into our Advent Conspiracy, exchanging our wants for their needs. And a way that you can make that very, very personal with your kids is this. By the way, I would not recommend this for grandparents. As I walk this out, you're going to see why in just a second. And it's this. What we did, um, I think there's a picture up on the screen. And this is a total just option. Please don't. You should never feel an ounce of guilt if you choose not to do this. But I love the way that we've kind of rebranded Advent Conspiracy. has all the different ornament kind of look to it. And so what we wanted to do was make make available to you an ornament. It's just simply this card. And what happens is these are available today out on the plaza along with uh, information about the Loft House build and Advent Conspiracy in general. And there will be for the rest of our, our time. But basically it's this. And we included some prompts, by the way, for parents who would feel like, I, I can't say it the way Pastor Todd did. Now I don't know what to do. It would be this option. You could come sit down with your kids and basically throw out this idea. Hey, you know what? Here we are. We're about the third weekend in November. I know Christmas lists are probably put together by now or they're shaping up. And so as you're doing this, you're looking at this with your kids and you're saying, you know, I know you put this list together. What would you say? And it really, this is really important in my opinion, what we're going to do in our home. We're going to offer this to our kids rather than command it. What would you say if one of these things on your list, we actually set aside, we actually, you didn't get, you would willfully know you're not getting it, but we, your parents, would take the funds that we would spend on that item and you could designate one of the projects with Advent Conspiracy to give to that. In a very tangible way, you could exchange one of your wants for their needs. So the ornament that you would take home that looks like this, it's a cutout. On the back, this is what it says. It's a place, let's say we do this with Ellie. And at the top, we'd write in Ellie's name. And it says, Ellie, in place of one gift to go under our Christmas tree, a gift has been given to So let's say she chose the loft house build. As part of Trinity Church's Advent Conspiracy, this ornament is to remind you that that real needs uh, were met this year, that in the exchanging of your wants, you met someone else's need. And so you cut out this ornament, put a hole through it, and hang it on your tree as a a reminder and a testament to, for your own kids more than anything, to remember, I made a choice this year to set aside one of my wants for their needs. Purely optional. We have a sequence of prompts to help you with that because you're like, do you want to do this or not? You know, that's probably not going to be helpful. But if you can explain to them um, kind of what the heart is, please, by the way, don't walk away with any sense of guilt or, or conviction if you don't engage this as a family. No problem. By the way, grandparents, the reason this is not a good idea for you, you're the ones who are supposed to come and make everything awesome. Okay. So if you walk in the door and go, oh, I didn't get you a gift this year. Here's an ornament. Eh, I want to preserve that relationship. Okay. So 
But parents, and I'm one of you, we're in it, and we just don't care. All right? So, <laughs> so think about that. But I think a cool, a cool parenting tool. And that's, by the way, our hope. Our hope is to give you tools to make good decisions in your family that are honoring to God. And we think that's one of those. Another way that you do this, by the way, as far as uh, giving with clarity and, and understanding, having good eyes, healthy eyes, is the way that so many of you give consistently and generously to Trinity Church. You see, you're investing in eternity. I know that it's not necessarily the most inspiring thing to give to a church's, quote, general budget or ministry fund, as we call it. But paying the electric bill is pretty important because it's hard for us to meet on a Sunday morning if we don't. Paying for the the supplies that you're holding in your hand today for our Trinity this week and notes those don't, don't... I don't know if sometimes we all know this... Trinity Church, like other churches, does not have some grant program. No, nobody pays Trinity Church to do what we do. Uh, we, don't, we don't have some sort of thing on the side that generates... No. The only way we're able to do what we do is by your giving, your obedient and joyful giving. And that's awesome. And we're so grateful for your gifts, so grateful for your obedience to that. Because God is not just doing things like keeping on the lights and having paper in our hands. God is changing lives in the Inland Empire and around the world because our global missionary budget comes from our general fund. You are changing the world because of the way that you give obediently. So I want to thank you for that. That is an example of this kind of giving that thinks about eternity, not just what's here and now. These all come with a clarity of vision And if you feel confused about what to invest in, here's the greatest news. Talk to the expert himself. Talk to God, and he gives great clarity on these issues. Finally, today, third, in order to treasure what will last, you must serve the right master. In order to treasure what will last, you must serve the right master. Verse 24, our last verse. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, many of you have heard this passage before. It's pretty in your face, right? There's not a lot of wiggle room. But, but as you've heard it, I want to say this. Some of you have either heard it before and have the same attitude, or some have maybe never heard that before, but you're kind of offended. Who, who's this guy Jesus to tell me I have to serve somebody? Like the whole notion of being someone else's slave, whether it be God or money, I'm not interested in because I'm a pretty independent person. I don't serve anyone. I just take care of myself. Well, let me, let me put something out to you. If that's your attitude, it actually was the attitude of the people Jesus was talking to. We'll see other places in the Gospels that the crowds will bristle back and they'll say, we're slaves of no man, even though their country was under Roman rule. They couldn't walk across the street without permission. But that's how they saw it. We don't report to anybody. Pretty proud. Well, Our political system, very different from that of Israel in the first century, but the reality is this, to ignore the fact that you serve someone or something is to simply ignore the thing, the way that things are. God created us as such, as a human being, you have a place within you. One of the philosophers called it a God-shaped void. You have this hole within you that deeply wants to serve, deeply wants to to worship. And the problem is this, is that God has given us this option. It's not a problem, but the reality, God has given the option to fill the void with him. And rightly so, we call him master and Lord because that's who he is and how he presents himself to us. Besides being our savior, besides being our father, 
Besides being the spirit of God within, he says, rightly so, you call me master and Lord. This place is reserved for me, but for so long, so many of us were trying to jam so many other types of things in here. And it was always round peg, square hole, and never fit. And the reality is you may be here today and you're doing the same thing, and you might even be doing it with the same thing Jesus is talking about, wealth. You're taking wealth and jamming it into the space, trying to think that if I can have enough, this will satisfy. That if I can amass enough comfort, because I don't have to worry about things because everything's covered for me, you find quickly how uncomfortable life gets and you realize this isn't the case. We were built to serve. So the simple question is this, who? Who are you going to serve? That's the great thing. God gives us the option, gives us the ability to choose. For some of us, you have, you've replaced God in his rightful role as master with wealth, like we're talking about today. But for others, it's status and success. For others, it's relationships and being affirmed by people. For others, it's power and prestige. For others, it's pleasure-seeking, unrestrained. But to whomever you bow your knee. It's not if, it's just whom or what. Whomever you bow your knee, whether it be the God of greed or the Lord of leisure or the master of materialism. That was really good alliteration right there, by the way, too. And I'm never that good. That was pretty good. Um, But whatever that is, here's the point. You're serving someone. You're serving someone. Jesus knew the hearts of these people. And he knew that they were putting high price tags on costume jewelry. And watch this. He's not interested in sharing the honor and worship he deserves as almighty God with anyone or anything. It's not just God helping us to distinguish what will last or not, but he is objecting to idolatry. I want you to catch that today. He is objecting to idolatry, to your elevation of anything else above his rightful place in your life. Again, D.A. Carson said it masterfully. He said, a man may work for two employers, but since single ownership and full-time service are the essence of slavery. Catch that quote. That's the definition of slavery. Single ownership and full-time service Well, then you realize, yeah, yeah, I can serve two employers. I can't serve two masters. He cannot serve two slave owners. Either God is served with a single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but a deep-seated commitment to idolatry. That's the issue. What are you jamming into this space that alone is reserved for God? Don't play Monopoly with your life because even if you win, you still lose. So from our passage today, in order to accumulate the treasure that really lasts, you'll need to seek what can't be stolen. You need to see life clearly and you need to serve the right master. Here's our now what statement for this week. Because of the things you treasure, act as a tether to your heart. Treasure things that keep your heart in the right place. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. This passage is just such a a strong mirror placed up in front of our eyes. Jesus, the master teacher, God, as we saw last week, doesn't just want to come and save our souls. He wants to save our lives from living in a way that doesn't last, in a way that doesn't matter, in a way that doesn't count. And we're so grateful for as hard as these words are to hear, we're grateful for their truth. So God, today... 
As you've taken a mirror that might have been very foggy, very grimy, you've kind of wiped away the sludge so we can see clearly looking into our own lives. Help us ask the hard questions. God, to what are we giving ourselves to? What is it that we treasure? Because what we treasure is such a tether to our heart, such a tether to our center. You may be here today, and as Jesus is sharing these words, especially these last words, you cannot serve both God and fill in the blank. In this case, it's money, but it could be so many other things. You're honest enough today to realize that you're just not serving God at all. You get it. You see it clearly, and you've known that before you ever walked into this space today, that you've never really responded to the invitation that Jesus has made to know him and to follow him. And I want to tell you great news that you can do that today. You can do that before you even leave this place through the lens of receiving, responding to the gospel and what we call the ABCs. A is to admit that you need a savior. A is to admit that you've been jamming all the wrong things in this place only reserved for God. B is believe. Believe that this Jesus that we've been reading of today, his words, believe that he is the only savior available. Believe he's the only right fit for the void in your life that you need and rightly want to fill. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a sacrificial death. Believe that he was raised supernaturally on the third day. Just like the song we sang earlier today, this great creedal song, I believe these things. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, you've given me an example of how to live. I want to walk in your steps can make that decision today. It doesn't require a class. It doesn't require hoops. It requires an honest prayer right where you're at. And my prayer is that you would today. You wouldn't let another day go by. And if you do today, if you make that decision today, would you tell someone? Tell someone who cares about you. Tell someone who's been praying for you. Tell someone that you know that would just be so important for them to hear. Let them know that you responded to Jesus today. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace giving us the truth so we know how to live accordingly. We pray in your awesome name. Amen.